know this, know this already, but we take the Word of God very seriously. We believe it is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, and that uh, when you read the words on the pages of the Bible or on your digital device, uh, that you are hearing the Word of God, that you're hearing the voice of God. I, I believe that with all of my with all my core, like everything about me. And so if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, because uh, we do that because... Like I said, we believe it to be the Word of God. And I honestly, the reason why you don't, I don't ask you to stand why I'm preaching, one, that would get tiring, but two, two, I really don't think I have anything great to offer you except for what's in this book. And so uh, we're going to start with verse, three, uh, verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 7. Um, you can follow along on the screen. If you do not own a Bible, take one of the Bibles under the seat around One of the seats around you has a Bible under it. Take that home with you. Um, but starting with verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his, makes his flesh, or makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabitable habitable salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by waters that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes for, for its, or when fear come, or, and does not fear when he comes, sorry, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that, that she did not hatch, so is he who gets rich, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness you know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me. But let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed. But let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Father, I ask that you just open our hearts to your word, that you would just have your way with us, Give us ears to hear. Uh, and uh, for those watching the live stream, I pray the same for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So <clears throat> we're in the middle of the sermon series, Christians Say the Darndest Things. I, uh, I, I've shared with you that I, <laughs> this is kind of like the icebreaker sermon series for a sermon series that is coming that will be a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm actually going to preach, do a sermon series on a sermon, which is Jesus' sermon. 
But this is, uh, I just felt like this is a good way to kind of lead up to that. I am not, when I, when I think of um, deconstructing, I am not thinking in terms of my faith. I'm thinking in terms of just what does it mean to be the church? And so that's kind of the season I'm in uh, right now. And so like most of you know this, that every sermon that I write and that I preach is really first and foremost a sermon to my own heart. And so this is not a, not a sermon, you know, me pointing the finger at uh, you guys. It's really me just reflecting on my own heart. And I hope, and I hope my hope has always been that you will, that you will uh, benefit from, from that. And so this week, you know, this is one of those statements. I, every, each week has been a statement that I've heard in church uh, as a pastor and even before I became a pastor. And this is one I've heard uh, more, more times than I can count. Just follow your heart or follow your heart. How, how many of you have heard that, right? Yeah, the first service, which was like, I think it was like 100 people in here and maybe three people seemed like they raised their hand. I'm like, no, you all lied. That's a, so don't follow your heart. <laughs> um, but just, just follow your heart. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means like your heart is your moral compass. So listen to your heart and it will take you in places that are really good. Now, on, there's this website called, um, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Kittle. Uh, how many of you have heard of it? Um, how many are homeschoolers here? Okay, I'm not picking on you. I'm just, it sounds like this was designed for, home, for homeschool families. I, and I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll see, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm just going to read right now. <laughs> I'm going to make all the homeschoolers angry at me. Um, so the website founded on this principle, and this is from their website. <clears throat> it's a digital home of family edutainment. That's their word. I never heard of that word before. So education and entertainment combined, I guess. Um, helping parents educate and entertain their kids with trusted, personalized, curated content designed for families the world over. So this is a website that's designed to be family-friendly and, and you can learn from it. On November 30th, 2021, they published um, a list titled "100 Best Follow Your Heart Quotes to Achieve Your Dreams. Now, I am not going to read all 100 of them, so... Um, but I will share five of them with you. And uh, if you're wondering, oh, who wrote this quote, that quote, you'll just have to go on our website and, and look it up. It'll be on my manuscript. They're all listed here, but he, I'm just going to read the quote. Your heart and your instincts are far more reliable than your brain. When you follow your heart, you can be sure you won't regret it later. Eh, wrong answer. Um, <laughs> Right? Even if you calculate your, that, your wrong answer is not in there, by the way. Um, even if you calculate your every move, it's not like life ever goes according to plan. Here's another one. Make sure that you always follow your heart and your gut and let yourself be who, <clears throat> be who you want to be and who you know you are and don't let anyone steal your joy. <clears throat> Here's another one. At the center of your being... You have the answer, you know who you are, and you know what you want. I don't have COVID. <laughs> That's what we always have to say now. It used to be, God bless you when you sneeze, now it's, I don't have COVID. <clears throat> okay, I gotta stop. All right, um, this one's from Princess Diana. <clears throat> 
Only do what your heart tells you. And then one final one. Follow your heart a little more and listen to your head a little less. All of this is bad advice, right? Like, <clears throat> this is not good advice. I know, I know what the motive of it and I know the intent of it, but, but think about it. If you're really honest, um, how many of you have, you know, can count times in your life where you've truly followed your heart and it landed you in a place that you regretted, right? Yeah, me, I can. <clears throat> and so what does that mean to follow your heart? I'm glad I didn't eat any chocolate. This would be worse. Um, what does it mean to follow your heart? Uh, I, like I said, it's, it's, it's to treat your heart or your emotions, that's what we're talking about here, as your moral compass. What you feel is what is right. And uh, it doesn't matter what your brain is telling you, but what you feel is what is right. And so I want to just unpack Jeremiah chapter 17 and just kind of look at what, uh, what's said here. Um, and I think it will be helpful. And here's what I want to say at the very beginning. So we'll, we'll pick apart this, this passage. We'll unpack, I'll unpack it for you. But I, I have some practical advice towards the end about like following your heart and listening to your head. And you, you, you know, I think sometimes you, can, you, you might think of following your heart as uh, following your conscience. But So I'll, I'll get to that towards the end of the message. But let's just unpack this here. So Jeremiah... Basically, um, at the center of the passage, uh, in verse 9, he tells us something that, that is quoted a lot. I've quoted it a lot. And he says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. So that's, that's what he says at the, in the middle of this passage. But at the beginning in verse 5, he says, thus says the Lord. And so uh, and what he's going to tell us is that our inner compass is broken. Like our inner compass is broken. If our inner compass is our emotions, if it's our heart, it's broken. And so he begins by saying in verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So if you're a person who's relying on your own strength, relying on your own intellect, well, the prophet Jeremiah is saying, well, you're going to land in not such a great place. Well, where are you going to land? Well, here's where you're going to land, verse 6. He is like a shrub. Literally, the Hebrew word for shrub here is uh, like little juniper. Like, think of dwarf juniper. But don't think of something that's cute. This is not a cute shrub. This is a Cheyenne shrub. This is one, this, yes. There's a reason why there are not many trees here. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a Charlie Brown Christmas tree is what this is. Uh, so he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabitable salt land. Like he's, his, his, the soil is dried up, and it's, it's even worse than just being dried up soil. It's salty. And so there's no life there. And so the person who trusts in his own heart, his own strength, is, is like this Dwarf, juniper, jacked up, twisted tree. There's no life around him. There's no life in him. It's just it's going to die. It's not going to end well for this, for this person. 
So our inner compass is broken. And in chapter 17, Jeremiah, like preceding this chapter, Jeremiah was just saying, hey guys, you are a mess, Judah, this, which was the southern kingdom. You are a mess. You, you're, you're, you keep falling into sin. You, you, you say that you want to honor the Lord, but you don't. This has been the story of Israel. And when we read Jeremiah, we discover, if we're honest with ourselves, this is the story of the human race. This is the story of mankind. And he begins in the very first verse of chapter 17. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron with a point of diamond. Why do you need a pen of iron and a point of diamond? Because the tablet is hard. This is not moldy, you know, molded, moldable clay. This is, this is a hard, dried up, kind of like stone tablet, which is their heart. That's, that's our problem. And, and so Jeremiah says, and the reason for that is because the heart is deceitful above all things. And the word deceitful, um, like in the King James, it says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I think that's a bad translation. The ESV is a little closer. The NIV, is, I think, uses the same word deceitful. But it literally means um, like rocky. Like, not Rocky Balboa, like rocky places. Like, the soil is just rocky, it's hard to navigate. It's, there's, it's just, it's like, you know, going into your backyard and trying to dig up the soil. And, you know, like, in Colorado, um, you know, our backyard was mostly clay, right? And, and so it's just, it's just hard and it just unforgiving. And, and so that's, that's the problem. And if you think this is an Old Testament thing, this is not just an Old Testament thing. Jesus had some things to say about our heart also. Let's go to the next slide. Um, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now you might be saying, but Pastor Keith, it's Valentine's Day. You're making me feel really bad about my heart. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I love you. <laughs> so this is what Jesus said. <clears throat> and, um, and here's the thing. Like if we're using, if that's the seat of our emotions, which we call the heart. If that is our compass, if that is the map we are using to navigate life with, it's a def- it, it's a default map. Like it, it will not get you to where you need to go. It reminds me of the, the story. I, I actually didn't know about this person until this week. Um, Lieutenant George DeLong. Anybody hear of him before? I'm just curious. I, you know, I'm not surprised that you guys know who he is. Like after church, like either one of them, like Robert, will come up and they'll say, hey, by the way, let me tell you this fact. I'm like, that's awesome. Um, so I learned something about this guy. So in the 1800s, late 1800s, he was trying to discover the North Pole, and he wanted to do it, you know, to connect, uh, or to, I guess to make it a part of the United States. And um, the map that he used was, uh, was uh, created by a guy by the name of Dr. Um, uh, what's his name here? Uh, if you said it out loud, I'd be very surprised um, and impressed. But it's Dr. August Henrik Petterman. You know, you're not being tested on this. I don't even know why I just told you. But <clears throat> he, uh, he, he, um, 
he created this map. And you would, <clears throat> you would think that those who, who had tried to f- discover the North Pole before would have, like the stories that they shared, like, which was, hey, there's a lot of ice up there and you're probably not going to get to the North Pole. Like that would have shaped the way they, they created these maps. There was this theory or this belief <clears throat> that there was this polar ice-free sea where you just have to you know, charge through some of the, the, the ice, but then it opened up to, to something that was easy to navigate or that there was this pathway to the North Pole. And <clears throat> those who, who tried to discover the North Pole learned the hard way. Some of them didn't survive. There is no way we're getting through this ice like, like, in the way that we thought. And so the guy who uh, created the map for uh, Lieutenant DeLong, he, you would think that he would have done something different with the creation of his map, but he had this idea, this theory, and this theory is the thermometric gateway. And so, so that there is a way to the North Pole and that you'll find this sea to be no different than the Caribbean. And so Lieutenant DeLong decided to, to do this thing, and what happened? Well, this is actually a picture. What happened? Come on, guess. He found ice, and, and he got stuck. And so some of his crew were able to escape, and, and they landed in uh, Siberia, and they, and they survived, but uh, the lieutenant died of starvation. But he said this of this thermometric gateway. He said, I pronounce a thermometric gateway to the North Pole as a delusion and a snare. And brothers and sisters, that's our heart. You know, like, like our emotions are fleeting. I, I, that's why I love that hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It has, nothing, it has very little to do with whether or not I love him. It has everything to do with my fickle heart. And, and so we need a different compass. That's the next point here. Is that we need a different compass. You know, um, if your roots, if your compass is in yourself, you're going to be like this dry, shriveled up little shrub in, in the middle of nowhere where there's no life. Um, but there's a different way. And, and so he says in verse 7, here's another, here's another path. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. His roots are in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots you know, by the stream. And the water that, like what Jeremiah is thinking of, or what he was thinking of when he wrote this, was this place called the Garden of the Three Springs. There's a Hebrew word for it, but it was an actual real place. In fact, the rabbis believe that because this place was so beautiful and because there's so much life in, this, in, this, in the middle of the wilderness, was this, was it, in wilderness I mean by desert, it was this place of life that they thought maybe this was the original Garden of Eden. Um, but there was this springs of, of real living water underneath. And so, and so that's where all the life came from. And, and so Jeremiah is thinking of this when he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes or when the, you know, for its leaves remain grain and is not anxious 
uh, in the year of, of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Meaning, yeah, just because your roots are going into the springs of, of this living water, of this life-giving water, doesn't mean the hard stuff still doesn't hit you in the wilderness. But when the hard stuff comes, the tree remains. And he's saying, that's the person who's not trusting in his own heart, but is trusting in the Lord. Whose trust in the Lord shape, is shaping his or her heart. And, and so it's similar to what um, the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 1. Let's read this together, ready? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So what's going on here? Well, he's not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor is he standing in the way of sinners, nor is he sitting in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in what? It's in the word of the Lord. But is it, you know, is he, is it, is his delight in the law of the Lord, the extent of that is only just reading a verse a day? How many of you have heard the phrase, a verse a day will keep the devil away? It's a dumb thing. I probably heard it in Bible college or maybe Sunday school. I don't know. I'm sure I probably used it when, when I was younger. Um, it's not talking about that. How is this person thriving? How is he thriving? Well, he is not just reading the law of the Lord, but he is meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. Listen, our hearts are, are like that, that, that hard soil. Now, I really stink when it comes to maintaining life with plants. Like, I'm not good at it. I stink at it. I, God did not call me. To, to do anything with, with plants inside my office. Somebody was kind enough to get me a fake plant that's in my office. When you come by my office, it's green, it looks real, but it's plastic. And um, that was after one of my sermons. And I thought, oh, that's excellent. Um, it is not a living. But what happens if like, you've got a plant in your home and you, maybe you were away for a few days or whatever and the soil has become hard? If you just pour water on it, just like really fast, what will happen? It'll just kind of bead off to the side, right? Especially if it's really dry. But what if you slowly pour the water onto that soil? It'll become soft, right? It'll bring life to that plant, hopefully, if, if it's not too late. <laughs> many, many cases for me, it was too late. There was no resurrecting the plant. Um, but, but in this case, meditating on the law of the Lord is kind of like allowing his word to saturate your dry hard heart. The psalmist is saying, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and that delight leads him to meditating on the word of the Lord. You know, what is meditating on the word of the Lord, like, what is that like? What is that experience like? Well, I mean, if you look at, for example, verse 9 of Jeremiah 17, it's really allowing those words to just pierce your soul. To, pro to think about it, to meditate on it, like the heart. What is the heart? Well, clearly, it's not the organ in my chest. Something more, right? It's my emotions. Um, the heart is deceitful above all things. Um, what, does, what does deceitful mean? 
Well, and if you do a little digging, you learn, you learn, oh, deceitful actually means rocky. It means like, like it's hard to navigate. It's, um, it is a, a default compass for me. And not only is it a, a deceitful, um, it's desperately sick. And the only one who can understand it is in verse 10. I can't even understand it. Like, I, I can't even wrap my mind around the, why it is that my heart is so prone to wander away from the Lord. But in verse 10, it says, The Lord, it, is, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Meaning, God knows me better than I know myself. And so that's meditating on the law of the Lord. I'm just giving you a simple example of that. And so the psalmist, and what Jeremiah is saying here is that the person who, who's allowing the word of God, allowing the character of God to, to, to pierce his heart, to saturate his heart, is the person who is thriving spiritually. It doesn't mean life is going well for you all the time. It just means that when life, when, when life gets crazy, you're not wigging out because your trust is in the Lord, not in your own strength. And... Um, and that's what it means to meditate. There are two types of people that's being described in Jeremiah chapter 17. And those two types of people are those who, whose roots are in their own selves and then those whose roots are in the Lord. That's it. And it's either your roots are in, in, in yourself, you're trusting your own heart, you're following wherever your emotions you know, take you. I mean, and that's popular today, isn't it? Like, hey, whatever you feel is the right thing to do. And what the Bible's saying, no, <laughs> you go down that route and you're going to wind up like a shriveled, jacked up little tree um, with no life, with no life. But those whose roots are in the Lord, that's where you'll find life. That's where you'll find thriving in your life, which leads me to this, the, the next point is that Yahweh, because that's, that's the name that's used for God all throughout this passage, Yahweh, that is God's covenantal name. It's his, it's his name that's used in reference to him keeping his promises to him, you know, he, he keeps his own, and he, he doesn't go back on his word. Yahweh is our compass and more. He's so much more than just our compass. He is the place of refuge. He's not a map. He is a refuge. That's what that's, um, later on Jeremiah describes God that way. He is our refuge. Um, well, it's a refuge. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. You know, it, it, it's, it's a place of comfort. Um, and, and how does he find this refuge? Well, we're told that you focus your attention on Yahweh, on this one who's on a glorious throne, verse 12, a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, like you... It's you, look at Lord, that, are, that is our refuge. Not me. Like, not your heart. And he goes on to say in verse 14, he like breaks out into this prayer in verse 14. Like, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Lord, I need you. I need you. Because I am prone to wander. <laughs> my heart is fickle. Like on my deathbed, I'm not going to be shouting out praises of how I held on to the Lord. I'm going to be thanking him that he sustained me and that he kept me. He is my Ebenezer. 
He is my stone of strength. And, and Jeremiah knows it. And all those who know it, they, they trust him. Their roots go into him. Like it, they, it, that's where their life is found. That's, that's where their identity is found. Your identity is not found in what you feel. Your identity is found in the one who created you and made you in his image. And, um, and there's a word, that, that, that uh, there's a name, another name. I, each week I'm introducing you to a name of, uh, that's used of God. Jehovah-Rah, which means what? Say it all together. The Lord my shepherd. So I think somebody said the Lord is my shepherd, and the reason why he said that is because you're familiar with a passage in the Bible. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Psalm 23, right? That's where we're introduced to it. Like the Lord or Jehovah-Rah I shall not want. It kind of sounds different when you say it that way, right? Jehovah Ra, I shall not want. What does that mean, I shall not want? Here, we're meditating again on the word of the Lord. I don't want any other. There's no other life anywhere else to be found but Jehovah Ra. He is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do, by the way? He guides and he leads, and sometimes he protects and he moves, <laughs> right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What, so what does this Jehovah Rod do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, kind of sounds like Jeremiah 17, doesn't it? Psalm chapter 1. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's Yahweh. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which you will, <laughs> I will not fear what? Evil. Just because Jehovah Ra is my shepherd doesn't mean things aren't going to go south on me in life, right? Just because he's my shepherd doesn't exempt me from cancer, doesn't exempt me from suffering, doesn't exempt me from my bank account going, you know, being cleaned out, doesn't exempt me from any of those things, doesn't exempt us from being, you know, to experiencing war in our lifetime, which looks like another reality, doesn't exempt us from a horrible virus. But what it does mean is that he, that he will guide us even through the valley of shadow death. I'm not going to lose it over, over those things because my roots are in him. He's the one guiding me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even when they encompass me and they are surrounding me, my enemies, whatever those enemies may be, you are there. You have prepared a table for me. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How, how do I know that? Because I'm following Jehovah Ra. That's how I know. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. There's um, there, there, This is not just a, an Old Testament thing regarding our hearts. Like the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 about his own heart. And I actually think he, is, when he was writing or he's describing a, a, a present experience that he was wrestling with when he wrote Romans. I don't think he's referring back to before he was a Christian, like some people believe. I think he's talking about, this is my experience as a Christian. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Meaning, I know the Holy Spirit's there, and I know God is doing this work in me, but in my flesh, 
Nothing is good that's there right now. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. How many of you can identify with that? Like, yeah. If you don't raise your hand, you lie. And that's just, I'm just proving my point. It is like, what, I mean, how many times this week have you said to yourself, why did I do that? Why did I respond in this way? Why did I say this unkind word? Why did I think this, un, this ungodly thing? Why did I look at this? Why did I, why did I look at that? Like Paul said, why do I do those things? And he goes on to say, you know, he says, it's not no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There's something wrong there. And then he goes, go to the, to the next slide. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> Jesus. Jehovah Ra. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I mean, the point that he's making in chapter 7 is, who's going to deliver me? Am I going to be able to wrestle my way all, you know, into holiness? No. It's, it is Yahweh. It's Jehovah Ra. It's Jesus. And, uh, and so, you know, who is the good shepherd? Um, it's Jesus. That's what Jesus said of himself. In John chapter 10, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down. John, tap, cha, John chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, Jesus said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. That's why everybody got wigged out when he said that. In John chapter 10, after he said he was the good shepherd, people were enraged, and, and some people wanted to kill him. Like this, every time he made statements like this, they wanted to kill him, and the reason being is because he was equating himself to be like God. He said, I am the good shepherd. Hey, you, you want to know who Psalm 23 is about? It's about me, is what he was saying. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I am Jehovah Ra. And, uh, and Paul knew it. And he said, you know, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Jesus. Jesus, because I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And my only hope is not my heart. It's the one who, who, who loves me and who promises me that he'll never let me go. By the way, that promise that he'll never let us go is in the same chapter where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So what do I do? Like, here's the application part, right? So what do I do? Like, what's the next step forward? I mean, do we, do we always doubt our, our heart, like our emotions? Like, are, are, are we to be, like, super stoic and not listen to what we're feeling? No, I don't think that's the point at all. I just think that if our roots are in ourself or if our roots are in our flesh and if we are not listening to the voice of God, which is, you know, listening to his word, your heart will lead you astray. But if you're allowing the word of God to shape your heart, to saturate your heart, to soften your heart, then you know what's going to happen? It's an amazing thing. What's going to happen is that you will begin to desire the things that God desires for you you will begin to long for the things that God longs for you. You will begin to dislike the things that God detests. That's what happens when you allow the Word of God to saturate your heart. There is a word for this, and I, I shared it a while, I don't know how many sermons ago, and that word is the word abide. Um, Jesus uses it frequently in the Gospel of John, but in John chapter 15, Jesus said this, he said, I am the vine and you are the what? The branches, right? That's us. 
That's the Christian. Whoever abides. The word abide, the word abide means to take up residence in. Literally in Greek, it means to take up residence in. He said, whoever takes, resi- takes up residence in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Again, you're hearing overtones of like Psalm chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses you know, uh, 6 and 7. But he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do what? Nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What, is that, what does that mean? What does it mean for, for that to happen? Is he saying that if you follow Jesus, if you follow me, just ask whatever. I'm going to be your sky fairy in heaven and I will give you whatever you wish for. Is that what he's saying? No, what he's saying is if, you, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, you know what's going to happen? Your desires are going to become, are going to become the desires that I have for you. And, when, and your prayers will be shaped by that. You'll begin to pray for things that God wants for you because you're listening to him. That's what happens. That's what happens with abiding in in Jesus. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's go to the next slide. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What is he saying there? He's saying, let the word of God saturate your heart. Let it soften your heart. And the more time you spend... In, in, in his word and communicating with him, that's called prayer, and interacting with people who are trying to pursue the same thing, what you will discover is that your heart will change. It will begin to change. Like, I, I look back on my life, like, shortly after I became a Christian, and I don't know about you, my guess is that you probably can relate, is that there are things that I participated in and I can't understand why I did those things. Well, I know how, why I did those things, but I would never do them again. Like when I first became a Christian, about a year into my faith in Jesus, I was, there were things that like the, I just, God was working with me on that I wasn't willing to give up. I went to a Bible study, Dick Seacrest, who uh, is, in, is home with Jesus now. He, he would do this Bible study. This is where I love, this is why I think food and and talking about Jesus goes hand in hand. Like it's, like it's in the Bible, and so we should do it. Um, but he would, he would, it was just for us guys. He, he opened up his home, and he had this big platter full of all kinds of lunch meats and cheeses and fresh bread. I mean, you've got to have fresh, fresh bread for a good sandwich, right? And so fresh bread, and he would just have it there, and he would open the Bible, and the, and he, the Bible would just come alive. Like he would just teach it. And I, you know how I showed up to those Bible studies? I, was, I used to have hair, um, and I had long hair. I was what they called a headbanger. That was me. Okay, I, some of you are like, what's a headbanger? Don't worry about it. Um, I, I would arrive to these Bible studies with hickeys on my neck and just like rough around the edges, but I was falling in love with Jesus. Jesus was transforming me. And, and Dick Seacrest never once made me feel like dirt because of the way I looked. And, and, and as I was, you know, learning of the Word of God, I was being exposed to some of the dark things in my, heart, my own heart. And he was shaping me. And that journey continues today in my life. And you want to know, like, how, how do I make choices? Like, how do, I, how do I move forward? How do I live a life of wisdom? Well, um, 
I think the more you spend listening to the voice of God, um, you'll discover that you'll begin to desire the things of God. You'll, you'll look at, like, your decisions will start to be shaped by questions like this. If I move to this location, how will it affect my relationship with the Lord? If I move to this location, how will it affect others? How will it affect my family? If I, if I pursue this relationship, what will it do to me spiritually? Will, will, what will it do to that person who I'm in relationship with? Like, like that's, those are the kinds of conversations that you will have with the Lord as you pursue him. Um, a lot of decisions in your life are going to be clear as mud because they're not moral decisions. Like moving to Fort Collins or to, I don't know, the East Coast is not a moral decision necessarily. It's pretty gray. Leaving a job most of the time is a pretty gray thing, right? Um, so those are some of the more difficult decisions. And one of the uh, kind of a filter or process you can work through is what will this do to me spiritually? What will it do to those in my life spiritually in terms of their relationship with the Lord? Um, what has God called me to do? Is he calling me to this location or has he called me here? Am I chasing after this because it's going to make my bank account bigger? Or am I chasing after it because I really am interested in honoring the Lord with my life and it will be good for my family? You know, if you listen to the Lord and you truly trust him, what's going to happen is you'll obey him. Or you'll, your desire will be to obey him. And the longer you do this, the more you'll be shaped by this God who, listen, who Who's, who loves you like infinitely. He loves you infinitely. If you ever doubt that, just look to the cross of Jesus Christ. So that, that hymn, the reason why I like it so much, I asked Jonathan if we can do it. Um, I mean, think about the words. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Seth is, I'm wrapping this up, Seth is, um, he, he's learning the violin. He's been doing this for a year and a half. Like, I have no musical talent in me whatsoever. Like, I don't even know how to keep it, like, to sing in the right note. Like, I'm just horrible. My wife reminds me of that. So do my kids. Everyone, like, yeah, <laughs> I'll belt out a tune, like, Dad, please, it's horrible. Um, I would not do that to you, because... I just don't want to put you through that. And you'll never come back again. Um, but, but think about those words. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. I tried to learn guitar when I was in high school because all my friends were in bands. And um, I, I didn't, for the life of me, couldn't figure out how to tune a guitar. I needed help to tune a guitar. For the life of you, you can't tune your own heart. You know, you need help. I need help. We need the Lord to tune our own hearts. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Here I raise my stone of help. You are my rock, Jesus. You are my help. Hither by thy help I come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. You know, it's not going to be my strength that lands me to that celestial sea called heaven. It's going to be 
primarily to the, the, to the fact that God has sustained me and he has kept me, and the same is true for you. Jesus, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious by me. It's through his blood that he rescued me, through dying on the cross for me. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my heart, my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen? Like, that's my prayer for myself. And uh, I hope that's your prayer for your own self. And if you're here and you're trying to figure out the Christian faith, the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do need to settle on that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except by him. And for the rest of us, the way that we gain a heart of wisdom is that our roots are rooted in him. And we trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great rest of the week. Hope to see you at 4 o'clock today. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. Just show up for food and then leave. Like, you know. But if you want to watch a football game, I'll be here for the whole thing. <laughs>